Hi, this is Ale Moussi, and you're listening to TRSF. Yo, this is the regular season sportscast. This is the Acquired Taste. Keith in the building. Tune in. Let's go. Welcome to Raw is the regular season sportscast. show but you know you know how we do here we turn it each way we want to and uh this week the hip-hop world lost a great one as josie boy says probably one of the most underrated lyricists in the game for man 20 years man it's crazy because i was just talking about this individual about a few episodes ago and um, unfortunately, the world lost Mob Deep's prodigy. And uh, yeah, man, it's just a weird, weird thing, man. Uh, prodigy and I is close in age and stuff, and it's like, I mean, I'll go, I'll, I'll go into it and open the salvo because I have like a dual thing that connects with it, but um, it, it's just weird, man. It's just a weird, weird thing when you start when you start seeing and hearing about individuals who close to your age and you basically although you didn't grow up with them physically you basically grew up with them with their music and being around you know like i said I, i'll get into it later on in the episode but you know hey man we lost we lost we lost one man the hip-hop community lost a real, a, a real true official dude man prodigy man it's crazy but uh yeah, man, it's 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 um it's one of those things. This week has been it was weird that uh I I, I came to it, something something hit me this week that way I got hit with just the just the realization of what I do here on the show and on Turnbuckle Tabloid and even when I I'm I'm producing and assisting with Call Me When It's Over and stuff like that that you know I feel lucky to be a part of RageWorks.net and being a a, a Hopefully, I'm an asset, but also just being able to do this, share this, where there's individuals who say they'll do it or they'll talk it, but never actually put it into fruition. And to 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 do this, you know, week by week, and I start looking at you know the episodes. It's funny because Josie's boy, callmeonesover.com, he doesn't really like looking at numbers, but you know, I I I'm, I was the same way early on. But when you start seeing you getting you're about to get into the triple digits, it's like damn. It shows, you know, commitment. It shows what you've been putting together. But in, 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 in 
I kind of shocked myself because I, I, I thought after a while, especially when a lot of hiccups that occurred with the shows and stuff like that, that I was going to just sit there and be like, you know what? You know, I'll take a week off or maybe two, three. But, you know, I, I think I'm probably taking a week off from doing the shows on my own because sometimes there's there's certain uh certain things that happen beyond my control that I have to take the week off. Maybe um Rich is, is unable to put up a shows, vacation time or holiday or uh the the you know whatever elements they may be but you know as for me to take a week off on my own it's probably been maybe once or twice during the show's existence and or or i would just usually do best of to set up a monumental milestone for trss and stuff so i i i gotta say man it's it's been a ride i'll get back to that again in a minute but i just wanted to say that it's been it's been a really really dope dope fucking ride so far man and I'm, i appreciate every every minute that i've been putting into the show and for the listeners who's been a part uh, of the whole ride it, you know you guys you guys have been great man and oh, i love to get the feedback from social media from everybody else involved <coughs> slowly but surely numbers is growing and that's the way i like it i don't i don't want to be it would be cool to be an overnight sensation but just as much as that that flame goes on it'll be quick as that flame could blow out so I like I like I like to keep I like to keep us burning slowly but surely. But with that, folks, welcome everybody to another episode of the regular season sportscast. I am your host Jay the Red Santi here to bring to you another week of sports ridiculousness, foolishness, nonsense, and just straight up news, whatever the case may be. As you can hear, I also do I also do other stuff and whatever, whatever comes to our our alleyways here at TRSS Studios. Make sure you check us out on all social media outlets. Check us out on Facebook on the Regular Season Sportscast like and group page. Check us out on Instagram at Regular Season Sports. On Twitter at RWJ Santi as well as on YouTube at Regular Season Sportscast. I also have a Tumblr and I'm on Facebook at J Santi. But if you find me there, you find me there. If you don't, well, it's, it's cool. But the, the, get get the main ones. That's the one I want you guys to check us out for. Get 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 us out the main ones, man, for reals. So yeah, man. This week has been this week has been um, it's been cool. We we had some hiccups last last week's episodes. Um, TRSS went up, but you know, I had a I had a, some malfunctions in there. I had to put together. I really got to sit here and just go clean out this fucking computer, and I really have to invest in a new uh, uh, a new setup here. Ever since I moved to this new apartment, it's just it's been a gift and a curse. One day I like it, one day I can't stand it. It's just it it. You know, one day I'm frustrated, one day I'm not. It's 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 a hell of a ride. Moving is not even even after it's gonna be it's gonna be two months that we move to the new place, and I'm still like sorting out what I want to do with here. You know, I'm I'm still looking to get a storage unit. I don't really want to, but that's that's part of it. I just I just can't wait till next year. Next year will be where everything will be planned out properly, where I don't feel rushed. And I'll get a better place, bigger place. Hopefully, maybe a home, something you know, or maybe a house, something you know. I'm I'm at that age that um, yeah, Ray got to put his big boy pants on and start doing bigger things. So you know, hopefully, hopefully that turns out to be that way. But other than that, uh, this week has just been uh, lackadaisical. TurboTabloid.com. Make sure you check us out there. That's already in the books. We have on both episodes. We had a lost episode. 
uh both episodes of trss and typical tabloid went up last week well uh was sent in last week but trss went up and i got rich at rageworks.net make sure you check out rageworks.net that's where everything is at i told always tell you guys on the one umbrella one on the one roof is where you get everything it's where you get comic books video games movies pop culture <clears throat> wrestling mma uh call me when it's over trss uh, Terminal Tabloid, the Variant Issues, uh, Black is New Black. It's all there. Contest, everything. All bookmark it, guys. Come on, man. Cut that shit out. Get everything at RageWorks.net. So, yeah, I sent them both episodes, and uh, one went up. Last, last week's uh, TRSS went up, and Terminal Tabloid didn't go up because our guy Rich and his, and his lovely wife went away on vacation. It's a beautiful thing. We all need that sometimes. So, uh, Terminal Tabloid did not go up, but it's up now. You guys get the double episodes. You get 14 and 15, and, and it's one. These are ones that it's cool because you, you can you can listen to, especially our picks that occurred for Money in the Bank. And then for episode 15, you find out if we were right. Plus, in episode 15, we did a great uh, segment in which we discussed WWE's theme entrances, modern day entrances. I actually listened to the back on a playback earlier today, and I was very happy. I actually had a nice smile on my face, and I laughed at a lot of stuff there. Shout out to Matt Fan Matt who's part of the show and um yeah man he's he's knocking it out the park man that kid that that kid keeps me motivated man even when when i'm sitting in i'm trying to think of stuff to put together for the show that kid keeps me motivated so shout out to you matt fat matt for for being a part maddie maddie's doing this thing he's out on his retreat right now his christian his catholic retreat i'm waiting for the jokes for that uh but other than that man did like, like i was mentioning um this week we have a on this episode it's a real i was really psyched up i had a had a uh, two weeks to prepare for it. It was a, a a process in which you know it takes time. You try to get your schedulings together. You try to put together uh, a nice time frame in which you and and the person that you want to interview, and where you you guys don't have to feel like it's rushed. And that's one thing. The one thing, the one big aspect that I love when I do these shows is I love to interview. I love to pry. I love to sit there and dig and uh 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 get. I I I I always give um. Shout outs and acknowledgements to the King of All Media himself, Howard Stern, because that's where I, I've, I when, when I was younger and I would watch the shows where I said, see, that's the way I would want to interview somebody if I were to do this. Like if I was journalistic, if I was going to be journalistic and do media stuff, that's the way I want to do it. And it's not always about being sexual or dirty or content of, of the content, but it's all about like not being the robots that you see on TV at times. Like you don't. You know the the, the point and click pictures uh, 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 or or the point and click type of conversations. So going into the open salvo, I was able to um, formulate an interview with a uh, 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 stuntman, actor extraordinaire, the, the replacement for for Jean Claude Van Damme himself, Alain Moussi, stops by at TRSS this week. It was a uh, man. It, it's one of those things. It's up there with the Sean Merriman interviews. It's up there with matter of fact, all my interviews that we do here uh, on TRSS and Interworkable Tablet, they all legit. But like, there's certain elements of of chemistry and conversation that you have kicks off. Like one of the big ones that I had in Interworkable Tabloid, check it out on episode one, was with Amazing Red. He was one my white whale, which meant that he was like my Moby Dick. It was, I always wanted to get that interview with him, and when I finally got it. I felt like that whole interview just clicked. And when you get certain interviews like that, sometimes, you know, you get hiccups. Things happen. Sometimes, you you know, you can't. It's like trying to draw blood from a rock. You, you don't get what you want. And sometimes you can make magic happen. And, and this week I came to a realization that 
when I do these shows, I love everything that I do when, when it's the prep, uh, when when putting bits together, when you're setting up the formats, when you when you're sitting there bantering off with someone. But when you're doing an interview, there's something special about it, be it from a celebrity, from an athlete, to a closest friend or family member. Like it's there's something about having that open dialogue. And especially in a podcast format where there's no restrictions. I always goof about saying there's the FCC listening to me because it's an inside joke with someone. But um it's always a it's always refreshing when I can have that open dialogue, like that dialogue. And there's not many people who can do that, who can have it a a a smooth interview style in which you can discuss things with people and make them comfortable. Uh, I always joked, but it was always true that when I was growing up, I always made everyone feel comfortable when we talked. And I always told people, I say, I can, you know, especially with females, I, say, I can make any, I can make a female talk about sex in less than five minutes. Right out the blue, you don't know me. I can make you talk about sex in less than five minutes and not make it seem dirty, not make it seem like if I'm just like, so you, you, you like to get your pussy in? Like, nah, it's like there's a way to do it. And I was always, you know, my boys growing up, they always would put it to the test and I would short of knock it out the box all the time because there's a way to, to, to open up conversations, open up dialogues with people. And I found that I always say I'm always late to the party, but when I'm, when I, when I do show up, I turn it up. It's because I, these are, these are tools and skills that I didn't, I did in life professionally where I was able to make people comfortable and have conversations, but I never found a way to keen it in and to, um, to do it, you know, for, for, you know, professionally. And I'm thinking right now when I'm doing this, I, um, I'm always at home about it. Like I'm always, I always feel, I always feel like it's, this is the place where we can share and you guys, you know, from, from myself to the person that I'm speaking to inter- interviewing wise. And we we're, we're able to, to open up, you know, experiences and, 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 you know, you know, share, you know, our ups and our downs and stuff. And I, and, and, and it's always cool to do that. So this week when, when I did this, this interview, I realized that, you know, there's certain things that I've been blessed to have There's certain thing, you know, certain, uh, uh, uh connections and, and such that I'm able to make and to, to, you know, approaching a hundred episodes and the, and, and, uh, and the people that have come in and we've chat and we, we've discussed stuff and aired it out, be it uh, straight up, being jokingly, everything, everything. And I always said from, like I said, from celebrities, athletes, family members and, and friends and all that, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been a blessing to have, you know, people come through my hollowed hallways and get on these mics and this you know, rinky dink uh, makeshift studio or over the phone and such. And we were able to do that. And it's 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 one of those things that I, I found that I didn't realize it, but it became a I wouldn't say a dream, but a but a fulfilled uh, opportunity that I didn't know was there until it was presented to me. And now that it's here and I'm doing and I'm going through with it, I um I'm loving every minute of it, man. It's it's great, and I love to get the feedback from everybody from social media when people tell me, "Oh, how's your show doing?" Or, or "Yeah, I heard your interview the other day." I heard you know the comments, even negative, positive. Everything has just been dope. I, I saw someone who put up on um, they made up they had a comment on their on a on their social media page it was like, you know, I didn't know it was going to be this tough to be doing, you know, a podcast every week, and you know, shout out to them too, you know. You know, I, I, I'm not going to even really mention names because I don't want them to make it seem like they um like I'm taking shots, whatever. I'm actually being cordial right now. But, you know, shout out to them. 
and they'll know who they are because they listen to the show because I know they do. Uh, shout out to them because although there was a friction, there was some friction here and there between us, but you guys have been consistent, and I, I tip my hat to you guys because you guys have been putting it together, and you guys have been doing very well. And to all you people out there who's been consistent, everybody who's out there who's been putting their shows together, who's been putting in that work, uh, you know, more power to you guys because – I always hear, yeah, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna put this, and I'm gonna do, you know, you know I, want, I want to do what you do. I'm gonna do a podcast and whatever. And you put up one, maybe two episodes a month, three episodes every three months, and it's like, is that what you want to do? Is that, is it like, oh, I want to do it whenever I'm free. I can just put on the mic. All right, cool. But if you're sitting there trying to make something out of it, and you're not pleased with what the outcome is, it's because maybe you're not putting in the work for it. I'm just saying, and and, and it's being real, it's just being and being honest with it because I'm doing, you know, for for me, I'm doing two shows a week, I'm producing one once a week, and it's 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 being consistent, consistent with it, trying to you know lock it down for for everybody involved, be it, be it here for you know with RageWorks, be it with the 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 guys who come in, the people who listen, it's 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 about consistency, and some people just you know they don't understand that. You know, if if you want it, you gotta go get it. I'm a family man. I'm a working man. I you know, I, I put in I put in hours and I do put in hours here. So my tie in with um, what I was gonna discuss with 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 the you know with the death of of Prodigy from Mob Deep was that um, this is another individual who who, who went and got it when he was oh young. I mean, this kid, you know, he was a young kid, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old, and you know, I remember their first track. Hit it from the back was the first song that I heard from them. It was one of those, um, you know, not too popular songs, not well known. You had to be like a real hip hop head to know it. And um, uh, I actually met them the first time when that song came out because uh, a guy I know from the neighborhood, uh, one of one of my closest friends, his cousin was their barber, and uh, they they came around and they they come hung out. They hung out in the neighbor for a little bit, and it was like, oh shit, that's cool. But then, like I told you guys uh, a few episodes back, that I, we ran into Prodigy again. Not in good standings because my boy Low is just stupid. You know, I, I it was real out of outlandish the way he approached him. But even so, the, he took it with heart, and then, you know, he took it like a grain of salt. But when you are you know, seeing it all and been through it all, yo, that's how niggas know right now. The opening of this Mama, just tells for it. Real, for real. That's it. True. Put my lifetime in between the paper's lines. I'm the quiet storm nigga who fight rhyme. P, yeah, you heard of him, but I ain't concerned him. Nigga, I pop more guns than you holding him. And it's real because, like, sun's out and scold your man, unload ten. You know, guys like, like, you know, Mob Hop on my night, Prodigy and Habit, you try to stop mine. Who started off young, had to make changes. You know, became themselves, coming out of Queensbridge. And you hooked on Marphonics. Start making hits like this. Quiet Storm was one of those that went out there. Like, I played earlier, Shook Ones. The albums, like, um, Infamous, um, shit, lump them in the club, shit, have you out of now? Murder music, I mean, guys, it's never crazy, and, it's the real shit. and you, with me, it's like I, 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 hip hop was my life, or still is, you know, to this day. It's just that it's in a different way now because you know, the music's changed, and maybe you know, I'm not with a lot of what a lot of the music entails now, how, how it goes, but um. It's one of those things to where 
you start thinking about your own life and how you putting uh, putting things together or not and how are you going to even if it's not entertainment wise even if it's just um even if it's just you know in business and whatever area of business you're doing to make money or creative or whatever it is that you're trying to do are you really going to be that committed these kids you know they coming out of the out of the hood and and making something out of themselves you know being 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 mainstream hip-hop artists being recognized you know creatively sometimes i feel i gotta from these streets like a fiend pulling me back it's real got it going because no matter the drama the gossip my heart is your hood my dog i rock with before you get clear yeah, man it's like it's, it's have everybody on the it's sad to know that you put in all that work you're out there still recognized making making music and that is blood on my tims snitches calling 1-800 people in the industry when they see me they like they respect you you get considered a, and these are dudes who have beef with like mad dudes in the industry from the west coast to jay-z like everybody who knows hip-hop knows about the whole prodigy uh, summer jam picture and the ballerinas you know, the ballerina picture and all that and even still and then um he went through he went through you know he went through imprisonment came out still still able to get it together and like I said you gotta see these dudes in real life they're like the they're not even the biggest dudes in the game they're like the short little dudes and he's still had a presence, especially on stage. Ah oh, man, but it's 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 a shame that a man uh, like him had lost his life, his family. Um, it's crazy, man. And it goes, it really goes to show you, like life is short, man. If you don't if you don't put it together, what you want to do with yourself and what you want to do in life, man, then you know what's it for, honestly, man. Then what is it really for? What are we what, what are we what are we here for, man? What are we what are we really gonna do? So, yeah, guys, so make sure you check us out on all social media outlets, man. Check us out. I'll tell you guys on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, on the YouTubers. We out here. Right, done. Try to speak the done language. When we come back, we got uh, this week's rant. Got uh, like I tell you, big interview with Ali Musa stops by. Kickbox, retaliation, kickboxing, kickbox of retaliation. Sorry about that. I'm just getting uh, choked up listening to this. <laughs> kickbox of retaliation coming soon. Trailer will be out soon. He discusses that. Discusses uh his upbringing, growing up in Ottawa, as well as how he got into the into the to, to the movie game, how fighting uh was his big passion also uh how he does with the ladies make sure you stick around for that and uh talking sports and shit tons tons nba draft uh, laval ball man <laughs> fucking guy can't even get out the spotlight just for his kid man i'll get into that and other things man we'll be back y'all got some got some bills to pay i'm gonna play it out with the learning here stick around y'all
Awesome Glory presents Never Trust a Snake. Witness the final stop on the road to High Intensity 6, Saturday, July 1st in Queens, New York, live from the Queensboro's Outlaw, featuring a rare appearance by WWE Hall of Famer Jake the Snake Roberts. Also on hand, House of Glory Zone, Anthony Gangone, your House of Glory champion. Also, Ken Broadway, the New York Wrecking Crew, Evander James, Sonia Strong, Hank Flanders, Nikki Heat, Private Party, and all those you know and love on the House of Glory roster. Be sure you check them out at HOGWrestling.net. That's HOGWrestling.net, where tickets are available for Never Trust a Snake at the Queen's Elks Lodge. July 1st. Start time, 8 p.m. Cards subject to change. House of Glory presents Never Trust a Snake. Don't miss it. This is The Will, and you're listening to TRSS. This week's rants. Kicking off this week's this week's rants is... Um, Fan bases are. Uh, I, I've spoken about this before in previous episodes. Uh, fan bases uh, for for many uh, sports get hot and cold. When you're a diehard fan, it's it's. I, I I love them. I love them, especially those who who are so committed and so legitimately. Uh, 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 they legitimately give a hundred percent to whether their team is good, bad, or just what have you. They. Oh man, they they're they're just they're gems, man. I I, I have to say they are just they're, they're you know I got I have my friends. I mean I'm a Met fan, and I I wouldn't say I'm a diehard Met fan, but I am a Met fan. I've been a Met fan for years. But um, there are people who just ride or die and and go all in, and you know, I mean diehards would uh, paint their rooms the color. Uh, Met fan Matt is like one of those that uh, he's legit like diehard. Uh, I'm I, I'm a diehard giant fan, but I don't go to those extremes to where I would you know get the tattoos and shit for them. Like they, those those guys are, are gems. The same can be said for you know even hockey fans. I've seen hockey fans that are just amazing, amazing when it comes to their commitment. It's 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 um it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a spectacle at times. So uh, I I was I was looking at a study. It came through uh, totalprosports.com. And it says, uh, study says Cowboys have the NFL's best fans and Chiefs are the worst, which I found astounding because I would not have thought that they were the worst. Now, breaking this down um, as per uh, TotalProSports.com, a recent study conducted by Professor Michael Lewis of uh, Emory University uh, decided to rank the NFL's 32 fan bases in consideration of the factors of fan equity during social media equity and road equity. This is what they came. Yeah, this is what they came up with. Um, the much disliked Cowboys came in first, while the Chiefs came in the bottom. Yeah, because as much as you have uh, 
Cowboy Lovers, you have the haters that follow right behind. Uh, I, I love the it, now people don't understand why there's so many cowboy fans. First of all, especially in New York, you have older cowboy fans because you have to understand years ago there weren't many outlets right now where you know you have the NFL Red Zone and you know Mon, uh, uh, Thursday night football, uh, Sunday night football. Stuff like that. We didn't have many out, outlets to see different teams. You back in the days you only had. Two, three, uh, two or three teams that you would watch regularly that weren't your home team. So, for instance, the Cowboys was they were always on TV. That somehow, some way, the Cowboys were on TV. Another team that was always on TV was the Raiders. Pittsburgh was another team that was always on TV, and um, I would say Detroit, the the Lions, because they were they always had the Thursday night games. I mean, excuse me, the Thanksgiving games. But if it wasn't your local team, you didn't know or hear about anybody else. So that's where you get a, lo- a large fan base of out-of-state fans. Like you, you'll get a person from Washington who's a Cowboy fan. It's because that's what they saw in, in, in a broad base. Uh, to get the top rundown that they have here, who has the bigger fan base overall rank, Cowboys was number one. Patriots was number two. Not shocking. Three was the eagles i actually would have thought that it would have been uh they would have been lower but i you know what yeah the eagles fans are yeah they are a bunch yeah they do have a large fan base that is true yeah uh giants of four steelers five saints is kind of high for me I, I really didn't think the saints are at six bears at seven broncos at eight packers nine and 49ers at 10 um I would have thought the Eagles would have probably been a little bit lower because I would have thought that the Steelers and maybe uh, teams like the Packers would have had them over. I I, have always, I see a large abundance of Jets fans as well. They they came in at thirteen. Uh, other teams that were surprisingly lower. Raiders were low at twenty. I I was kind of shocked at that. Uh, I thought they would be higher as well. Um, to round out the bottom, the bunch of Buccaneers at twenty five, Browns at twenty six, Cardinals at twenty seven, Bengals at. 28 jaguars 29 at 30 was titans 31 rams and finally like i said the chiefs were at 32 and like i said they did it at a fan equity social equity and road equity um you gotta love the fact that these teams have such strong fan bases and this is something that needs to be monitored by the uh not only not only uh fan bases but also um sorry i just had to kill a fucking mosquito that tried to get at me um these are also have to be have to be look at you know the at 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 the man, managerial roles in for 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 these teams for the markets because these are the people that are basically getting you your money so the chiefs really need to focus on getting a stronger fan base and how can we do that and the chiefs are one of those that are hot and cold where they're they they, they they can be somewhere in the season where they start looking like they're gonna be contenders and then they get to the first round of the playoffs and they just lose it, it, it you have to look i thought the bears would be higher too that's crazy because chicago has a really really i would like to see how it's done across the board and i need to see how it's done for the nba as well as for um, mlb i would like to see that but uh i, I can i i could generally see the patriots look like their their fan base of course they they're their their fan base is gonna be up since you know they're 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 constantly winning so they're gonna be up there. Giants I can say Giants was also a team that didn't get as much spotlight as the Cowboys did, but since there's that rivalry and as well as 
they are a, a New York a New York based team and they are recognizable. That I can see that. But um yeah, it, it's you gotta look at it too. You gotta look at you know, look at your markets. You gotta look at you know ownerships needs to start looking at that and and, and territorially they have to look at that. So you know, may, you know, maybe there's something to 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 this to this uh to this study. I like I said, I'm a giant fan. Love them through and through. I ride or die with them. They're my team. When they shit, I know they shit. When they're good, I know they're good. And um, there's only like there's only really two teams that I really give a fuck. Well, three because the Rangers for and, and hockey is my team. Um, and baseball is my Mets, and I can give two fucks about the Knicks. That's another travesty, which I'll probably save this week's rant for for them. But um, yeah, so. I, I don't know what, what what team do you like? What 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 teams are you guys rooting for? And are they winning? Uh, <laughs> are you in the same boat? Like, if you, is your baseball team in the same boat as I am? Because my Mets are just dreadful. They're horrible. Nah, I don't even want to talk about. It. I'm getting depressed. I might have to bottle hunt for this. All right. When we come back, I have the the, the honor, the privilege to talk to Aline Musse, kickboxer, retaliation coming up soon. Make sure you check him out. Check him out on all his social media outlets. He's big on Instagram. He loves the he loves the Instagram at Ali Musse. Check him out there, and uh, tons tons more coming down for you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna probably knock down a. Nah, I'm not even gonna say that. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'll go take a shit. I, when I come back, Ali Musse will be in the studio over the phone. You like, you get the gist of it. You know what it is. Stick around, guys. It's gonna be fun. Hey, this is Chris Roach, and it's a TRSS. TRSS, the interview. And not by, not by your not by your physical skill. I'm talking about the way of your looks and your appeal. It looks like you're 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 pretty much of a ladies' man. I, I see that you 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 get a lot of followers oh, in there. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I was like that back in my heyday, but you know, I had to tone it down a notch. You know, I had to, I had okay. to take it down. <laughs> so 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 uh, is, is is it? Do you use the martial arts to keep the ladies at bay these days? Is this what we're doing? <laughs> You know what? It's, it, I've never had to do that, but you know, at least I'm equipped now to do it if ever I needed to. <laughs> it's all about preparation, really. That's what it's about. Yeah, I, I, I was at a. I was at a. When you called me earlier, I was at a ceremony for my my goddaughter. It was her graduation, and I showed okay. a, I showed a picture to my little cousin, who's uh she's she's in her, her late teens, early twenties, and I said, "Yeah, I'm going to be interviewing this guy uh, later on today." And she goes, "Oh, really? He's coming over?" <laughs> I was like, "No, he's not coming over. Calm down." Calm down. Oh, well, that's nice. Thanks. Unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, you being the, the martial artist that you are, uh, first of all, when did you start doing this? Like, this this, this seems like, usually I see, uh, like my, like I was mentioning, my niece started martial arts when she was at six. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually started when I was, uh, well, I started, I got serious when I was 10. I started, I tried when I was seven. 
mm-hmm. uh, just didn't connect with it. And then all of a sudden, I, I went back. Uh, my parents reintroduced me to jiu-jitsu. In, uh, I was 10 years old. My mom actually took over my membership when I was seven. So she was already training for a while. And oh, then wow. I decided I wanted to try it again. Um, yeah, so she got a black belt in, uh, in uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went back um, after I saw Bloodsport. Bloodsport is kind of what... Uh, triggered triggered the interest in me really because i did the um, same thing for me too like right now i have like a two degree but i have two black belts but they usually hold up my pants that's all it's for but yeah there it, was, you go. It, was blood, <laughs> yeah, it was blood sport yeah yeah blood sport i, I saw blood sport I, I didn't know anything about it either it was funny because my, my buddy um he's like oh, i'm using blood sport we're 10 years old and i'm like the only thing i can think of when somebody says blood sport at that age is like okay well it's sports so for me that's baseball football hockey and there's blood so <laughs> what's going on here so finally we started, we started watching that it's martial arts and um i was so impressed with um with van damme at that age to me it was like oh my god this dude is like number one he's athletic he's you know he's built like uh like you know like a greek god type thing and he's like he's kicking people in the head and jumping in the air and doing the split kicks and it was like i gotta do that i have to do that so that's what sparked everything and then i decided i wanted to get back to martial arts and i just got obsessed with it because i needed to be like van damme i needed to really you know have the same skills as he did and it became a, a, a kind of an obsession so wait, wait and uh, i just kept on going so this was something that you did um because you're from uh wait uh, you're originally from um la, la, I, can't, I can't even pronounce it probably gabon the, like, i was born in gabon but i but i i, I was living in ottawa at the time i was oh, okay. living uh I, I mean, I've been living out in Ottawa since I was seven years old. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, so I was living in Ottawa, and uh, I went to this uh, jiu-jitsu school called uh, Terrian Jiu-Jitsu, and, and John Terrian, he's, uh, he was the owner, and it was a small school in a little suburb of, of Ottawa called Vanier, and you know, I'd walk there, and it was walking distance from my house, and I started training, and it was in Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, that was my first art. It happened that at that school, one of... Uh, one of John Terry's students, his name is Johnny Terrio. He was known as the Iceman of the kickboxing world. Mm-hmm. And he had been uh, one of the most decorated kickboxing champions in, uh, in the world. He defended his title 23 times. So he was one of those kickboxing legends from you know, the 80s and, and 90s. So I was just uh, you know, already surrounded by people that were very, very skilled. Um, but like I said, I just got obsessed with kicking and doing the splits. That was like my major obsession out of everything else. I competed and I did sparring and all that kind of stuff, and I was good at it. But it was, uh, it was to me, it was about kicking people in the head and jumping up in the air and then doing the splits and all that kind of stuff that I was kind of obsessed with. Yeah, you see, because me, I would have done it because I would have wanted to impress the ladies because that was like that would have been like my whole my whole avenue for it because you know I I, I didn't have I didn't have probably you you have the impressive looks now so I can imagine you at ten like you were still like. You probably had like that Van Damme kind of charm and look going on at the same time. He was already growing facial. Face. He had the facial hair growing in and probably like had a deep voice at that age. So it was, it was probably working Dude, for you. Not even. I was, you know what? I was like a baby face till I was at least 18, 19 years old. I was like, I had no beard or anything like that. And plus my dad's Lebanese. So you would have thought that, you know, I would have had a beard by that. Yeah, but yeah, no yeah, way. You know, you know I, I thought that the hair was every, every other place. This is not on the face. You just had it probably everywhere. Right? No, no, like my friends always say, like, Alain was like, went from, you know, like 17 to 19. And he's like, he grew up in like one, you know, there was four inches of growth in there or five inches. And plus, you know, a beard started to happen in and all that kind of stuff happened. You know, I was very, uh, I had a very youthful look for a long time. But, you know, it was impressive because I was the only one or only guy that you know around that could do the splits or could do that kind of stuff i was doing that when i was 12 years old so obviously it was a good party trick so 
So, you know, when people were, were at dances and that kind of stuff, what would I do is go in the middle, start dancing, and boom, you know, drop into the switch. Everybody's like, whoa. So, yeah, it was always kind of unique, a unique skill that would impress most people. Yeah, but growing, so up, growing up in Ottawa, the, the the first thing would be, it wouldn't be martial arts. Of course, it'd be hockey. You have the senators up there and stuff like that. You have, you know, yeah, you think so. Yeah, and, and have, did you ever play hockey when growing up? I never played hockey. You know, tons of my friends played hockey. I just got, because I was so into martial arts, that was, that was all I did. I, was that, I, I did sports in school. I mean, like volleyball and handball and that kind of stuff. But I was so busy training and, you know, I would train a few times a week. And then I would go out and compete on like a lot of weekends. Um, I started doing shows, like stage shows, so I would do that and train for that. So I was training so much and so focused on uh, on martial arts that I didn't make time for anything else. You know, nothing could get in my way type thing. It was like, if anything was taking too much of my time, it was like wrong. I had to, because, you know, I had to spend time kicking. It was uh, it was more important to me. When did you so, start? When did you start going in it uh, basically competitively? Because you know you you said you got in it at ten. You get a certain time frame when you start going. And when when did it start kicking up for you competitively? Yeah, ten eleven. I mean, I within I was a first competition. I was a white belt. We we competed in house right away. Mm. And then you know out, outside of uh, our school and local local tournaments, there was karate tournaments and all that kind of stuff. So we go in and compete in sparring or uh, self defense technique demonstrations and that kind of stuff. So I do pretty much everything. I was very successful at it, you know, for, for a while. And, uh, until, you know, I, I was just, I, I was winning a lot. And then I started doing shows. I, John Terran, my, my instructor, the owner of the school, he was also head of a, um, an international martial arts, um, federation. So every year he would put on this big symposium. So there was, you know, instructors from Canada, the U S from Europe, they would all come in. It was like a weekend of seminars. He would put on this huge, huge martial arts show, um, you know, big sound, big lights. And, it was like thousands of people there and we would perform on stage at this big show. And every year I would prep for the show. And it was always more exciting to me to do that, to, to perform than it was to compete. And, you know, I was successful. I just, I just got a, I had this thing. I loved being in front of people. I loved being on the stage. So I started doing that a lot. And uh, over time, I almost did that more than competing in the end. Were you doing more like, you know, the we- the weapons exhibitions and stuff like that? Were you able to get more like, you know, is it like the typical uh, performance arts of being, adding the, the gymnastics element, the acrobatics in it? That, that's, that, that's the kind of stuff you were into? We, we, we did a bit, but more, like, for us, it was more like almost designing fight scenes on stage. Okay. In jiu-jitsu, I mean, we did like self-defense techniques, throws, uh, takedown striking. We did kind of every, like a good mix of everything. Right. Um, so, so then what we would do, we would design this choreography. Um, that was like a whole bunch of different self-defense techniques and included all elements. And it looked like a, like a choreographed fight scene on stage. And we had, you know, timed it to music and all that kind of stuff. And we got a little more sophisticated as, uh, as time went by, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was this whole idea of making up fight scenes. I I just loved it. I just really enjoyed it. And I got, I had an opportunity to do it on stage where you only have, um, you only have one take, you know, it's not like you can, go out and you make a mistake and you got to start over you, you can't do that on stage so right. you just go so i thought that was uh, later on when i started doing stunt work i mean it was such a great skill to have to just be able to be confident enough to go out and know that you can perform one thing and get it on the first try when you're young and you're you're going you're you're studying the martial arts you're going into and you're learning jujitsu and you you're you're progressing and you're coming up in in classes and stuff like that are you challenged or do you feel like you uh, or were there any um 
outside parties who, who tried to test your skill sets. Because when I was studying the art of um uh um ticket, see, I can't even really describe what martial arts I did because it's very secret. It's very secretive. I won't let people know that. I don't want them to let them know that I'm very highly skilled in you know defense. But uh, okay. But when I did, you know, I had a lot of people who wanted to test me and see if they could you know go hand to hand with me. Did you have to deal with that in high school and stuff like that? I honestly not that much. I mean, it's. <laughs> A, a few times slightly challenged, but, you know, in the end, I just kind of stood up to it. And I was really good at talking myself out of stuff. So right. I got very, very good at that. And uh, th- I guess the times where it, all, it came closest was in later on in bars where, you know, obviously you can get into some arguments and stuff. But most of the time, not like, not most, like all the time, it wasn't caused by me. Because, like I said, I was really good at talking myself out of things. I would I never think, for me, it's not worth it because... So many things can happen, you know, and, and uh, you know, whether you're in a bar or in the streets or whatever, unless you really get into this problem where you don't have a choice. But for me, it was always about talking myself out of it if I can. So a couple of times my buddies got into trouble or they would try to get me into trouble to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, you know, I was able to talk myself out of all that kind of stuff and uh, never had to to just throw down in a, in a bar and that kind of stuff. So I never had to do that. I'm pretty happy I didn't, actually. It's uh, it's, it's, it's funny because you say that because I'm picturing you in that in the same way that Van Damme was in Kickboxer and he's in the bar and, and he's taking down a couple of shots and then all, you know, all of a sudden the guys are coming back and he's dancing, he's getting into the groove and stuff and that's it's, it, it just goes down. Uh, speaking of that, uh, you I, I see that there's a lot of similarities. You said that you watched him for, for since you were early on and stuff. Did Did you like like patting yourself growing up, seeing him and um, really like did you, like put the poster on the wall of him and wanted to emulate, you know, the Van Damme persona? Um, funny enough, after, like, I was a huge fan of the movies. So I, I was like, I would rent the movies when I was younger. But then as soon as my dad t- turned me on to Bruce Lee, like that was, you know, I don't know, like a few years later, he, when I got into martial arts, because he was really into Bruce Lee, so I started watching him. And then I would emulate Bruce Lee a little more. And then, whoops, I, I got turned on to Steven Seagal. And then what, and I loved that because there was a lot of locks, which I was training in jiu-jitsu. Right. So then I would see that. And then I, I saw Wesley Snipes. And then later on, I discovered Jackie Chan. So everybody I, I discovered, as I discovered uh, other martial arts movie stars, I, I would just love the, the variety. So I would jump from one to the other. So I never was one to just follow one person. And then what I would do is, I would try to imitate what they did in my fight choreographies, and I, I just kind of take some elements here that Van Damme did because I was very um, in the same shape, or you know, I could have the same. I could because I was flexible. I could do a lot of the things he did, but then I could move really quick as well. So then I would include stuff that Jack. I loved the, the way he interacted with the environment, so I thought that was really cool. And then you know, Wesley Snipes had this his mix of karate and and he had throws and that kind of stuff in his choreography. So again, his fighting again, I saw that and I was like, wow, that's very close to what I'm training in. So really early on, I got really interested in blending a lot of different things together. And I would take, see something one person did and include it and say something somebody else said, like a cool lock that Steven Seagal did. And I had friends that did Aikido. I would learn it and then include it in what I did as well. So as I was obsessed with martial arts films. I really enjoyed watching martial arts films. And because obviously I, I was connected to Van Damme in that way where I, I, he was like, you know, kind of an idol as a kid and he got me started of course i followed his career and i followed what he did and i always wanted to do the same moves as he did but i wasn't just you know, kind of stuck on that i was really into everything else as well it's good that you mentioned that because now, now i could watch your films and i could uh i could pinpoint certain styles and maybe like you know correlate like the aikido or the shotokan or the judo like because you don't really hear a lot of individuals who 
who say that they'll you know mix and match or like you say blend. They always want to stick to their one style or their one art and use it in, in, in to their to their to their advantage. Do you see mm-hmm. like a, a change happening, especially when it comes to mixed martial arts and stuff, where where more fighters, more more martial artists are doing that these days? Of course, yeah. Well, they have to. I mean, to, to, to fight in mixed martial arts, you need you need to be versatile. You have to you know have the striking, the throwing ability, the wrestling ability, and then the ground ability. So you don't have a choice. But but to, to me. It, I think as much as it's great when people blend, I think there's a there's a time where you also have to focus on getting really, really good at one thing, and then that allows you to blend things more easily later on. It allows you to be proficient at other things faster. Um, I'm a big, big believer into getting really proficient at one thing first. Focus on one thing and then add the others, the other elements that you need, right? So, um, but I think today everybody wants to blend every, because of mixed martial arts. And mixed martial arts is the most visible... Uh, martial arts competition in the world. It's never been as visible as this. Before, it was all movies. Right. The movies would make martial arts visible before. Today, you have this, you know, the, this martial arts competition, uh, this crazy contest that goes on and then everybody sees it. And it's no longer just in the martial arts world, I guess, or in the martial arts enthusiasts. It's for everybody. So, so the guy that's a football fan, oh, wow, mixed martial arts, never even thrown a punch in his life, but he loves it. Why? Because it's two guys in a cage beating each other up. Right. So now we've hit critical mass with this martial arts. So that's what people know now. And obviously it leads to blending arts together. So most people are now training not only in one thing, but they'll be training two, three, two, three different arts at the same time. It's really interesting. When you, um, when you, when you, like you said, you did more of the performance and uh, rather than uh, like the competitions and stuff, but yeah, around that same time, you know, UFC, MMA, that, they, you know, that they, they're coming, they're coming out, it's becoming, it's growing, it's progressing, it's becoming more popular. Did you, did you feel that you were going to go that way? Like, that you, you might step into the cage and do the, you know, the hand-to-hand combat? Totally thought about it. And I started training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu a bit later, a bit, like a few years after the UFC started. Um, I was like early on in Ottawa, there was pretty practically no Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There was, I think, two blue belts. And um, that's when I started training. Or a few blue belts. Anyways, I started with uh, when the, my first instructor's name was Dan Dan Guimete out here, and he was a blue belt under Vagni Fabiano, mm-hmm. and he had been training in seminars here and there. That's most people were training. You know, they would go down to New York, train with Hanzo Gracie, and then come back up and start teaching friends and people they knew. So I started early on in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and then just progressed to eventually um, train with Carlos Machado, who's my current instructor here now, and his brothers, all the Machado brothers. And I got my black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under them. So through that, I also competed, um, and I kept on doing that. And I kind of got connected with people through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that were fighting in mixed martial arts. I remember meeting George St. Pierre for the first time Mm. before, before he won against Matt Hughes. Um, I I remember this day I was at uh, Gamma, which is, uh, with his club in Montreal. And, um, Fabio was, was his, um, his coach, right. he says, oh, anybody want to do a few rounds with George and Pat Cote at the time? And both of them were fighting in the UFC. And you're right. like, I was first to stand up and say, yeah, I do. I want to go. <laughs> you know, because you're like, yeah. Like, when am I going to roll with George St. Pierre? I'm like, this guy is amazing. So I ended up rolling with him and rolling with uh, with Pat Cote that day, which was awesome. Amazing experience. So obviously, because I was in that circle as well, for a bit, I was like, well, maybe I'd want to do that. And I was very, I had a few friends that started fighting. I would help them train for their fights. And you know, I was very proficient at it. I was a very good striker, um, a very good grappler. So definitely was interested. But then, you know, it was kind of that decision where you say, do I pursue fighting and be obsessed with it? And because I had to be the greatest at whatever I wanted to do. So that means that's all I do. I just fight, fight, fight. I practice everything I can to be 
to be number one. Like that's where I need to, I need to be. Or do I put all my energy into understanding how, how to perform for film? Is that what I really want to do? And for me, my dream was always to perform in film, whether it was as a stuntman, as an actor, as obviously I wanted to be a lead actor. That, that, that was the whole goal was to be you know, lead in an action movie. Yeah. But I just wanted to get into film. So I put all my focus on that. Yeah, because Ottawa, Ottawa, and uh, Hollywood is not not too close. It, 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 there's some distance there. No, See, like myself, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've always I've, I still have that that dream of one day maybe maybe doing a a, a movie or or a TV show or something. But uh, my face is only made for podcasting, so we'll work on that later on. <laughs> It's it's a it's a progression. It's, it's a it's a progression. We're working our way <laughs> to there. Go. But how did you make how how were you able to make that transition to, from Ottawa to California and actually and because um, as tough from what I hear as tough it is is to break into acting breaking into stunt work is not an easy task either. It's probably even more difficult. How how did you get your way in? Well, for me, it was uh, one of my buddies in Montreal. Montreal so Ottawa is about two hours away from Montreal and four and a half hours from from Toronto. So most big movies that film in Canada are in Montreal, Toronto, and then you have on the West Coast in Vancouver. Right. So for me, my buddy in Montreal, uh, who was a longtime friend in martial arts, was a martial arts world champion. Um, so he, he got into stunt work about five years before I did. And through this other guy who was in the martial arts, named Jean Frenet. Jean Frenet, became the, he was a world champion in the 80s. And he became one of the, uh, the top stunt coordinators in Canada. So anyways, I, all this to say, five years later, JF calls me and He's like, Elaine, listen, there's this movie coming to Montreal. It's called Immortals. It's all like Greek fighting like 300. So, you know, you'd be great. It'd be a good time to introduce you to Jean because now like they need people like you. And I'm like, oh, cool. So, I, you know, he calls me and says, okay, Jean's going to see you. And Jean happened to be the fight coordinator on Immortals. So I go down to Montreal. I meet Jean. We start doing the warm up. And then we go into this room with a mat because like in a dojo. And he says, okay, everybody sit down. Elaine's here. Elaine's going to audition for us today. So I had no clue. I like I, I'm not prepared to audition. Like I just was coming in for a training session, and hopefully I can hang and you know stay stick around for another session. Right. <laughs> but he says, "Okay, everybody sit down." So for me, what I see is like these are all pro stunt people sitting down, and I, and I look at John. I'm like, "Okay, so what should I do?" He's like, "Anything." I mean, what do you mean anything? And he's like, "Well, just do whatever you're good at." And it's like that is such a broad thing to say. <laughs> like to do do any like what's anything. And, you know, it could be, I would have juggled. Like, I would have just thought juggling. You know what I mean? Exactly. You see, like, <laughs> I did impressions. So, I would have put a ventriloquist act going on something. <laughs> so I just, you know, actually, that would have been really funny. I, <laughs> I just started throwing kicks. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to throw everything I can in the chicken kitchen, kitchen sink. So I go in, I throw some kicks, some trick kicks, a backflip, jump to the, run to the wall, off the wall into a backflip. I take a dude, I'm one of my friends, Dennis. Dennis was up there with me. I had just met him that summer. And he, I'm like, okay, Dennis, just stand there. So I jump up on his shoulders, legs, scissor him, throw him over, and anything I can think of um, that's martial arts related or fall related. In jiu-jitsu, I fell a lot. So I did whatever falls I could do. Um, so anyways, I just, for three minutes, I just go on and on and on, showing anything I can show. And until I'm like gasping for air, <laughs> I'm like, is that enough? <laughs> is that like, am I, he's like, well, it depends. Are you done? And I'm like, I think I'm done. He's like, okay, well, let's try now. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, Holy shit. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So we ended up doing the training, and at the end of that training session, it was a three-hour session, and at the end of the session, he, uh, he says, okay, well, it's very nice to meet you, and uh, if you want, you're welcome to come back. Uh, you know, we train three times a week. You're welcome to come back and train with us. And I'm like, oh, my God, my first end to training with pro people. Right. So just that was enough for me. You know, I wasn't even, like, I, I, obviously, I wanted to get into the movie. That was the goal. But, I mean, 
just the fact that I could now be around stunt people was the fact that, okay, now I do have a way in. And uh, a few weeks later, uh, we ended up, like, over the few, course of a few weeks, Jean used me to um, shoot previs. Now, previs is all the concept fights for the movie. What they do, we, we usually will uh, design the fights, then we'll shoot a concept of it to show the director and then get approval on a style or on, a, you know, on, on all kinds of elements. So if he likes it, perfect. We kind of know how to design the rest of the movie based on what he sees as the texture of, uh, of the fight style and all that kind of stuff. So he ended up using me because I was the same size as the hero in the movie. So I ended up doing, being the hero in all the concepts. And the stunt coordinator told John, he's like, well, who's that guy? Like, we, you know, we don't have a stunt double for Henry Cavill. So he's about the same size, right? He's like, yeah, you think you could do it? And they're all, yeah, do you think anybody else who's already in here could do it? He's like, nope, I think he's probably the perfect person to do it. So at the, at, I remember the last training session when they were going to announce who was going on to the core, we call the core team. Core team is the team that gets on and designs the action and kind of performs for the entire show. He named 11 people out of 12. And then there's one person last, and I'm like, ah, it's not going to be me, but it's okay, I, I get to train. <laughs> it's all good. So finally he calls out, okay, our last person is going to be Ale Moussi, who's going to double Henry Cavill. And I'm like, what the hell? Are you kidding me right now? So it, to me, it was, it was unreal because you don't, like your first, um, I guess your first gig ever, you don't go and double the hero of a movie. That yeah, means I was you're going to say, no, on you, set nonstop. Yeah, you just, you, you, you could have just played lot, like the lottery that day because you just hit like a million bazillion to one shot at that moment. At that moment. Yeah, like usually, you know, you'll, you'll be... Bad guy number three gets shot. Boom! Thank you very much. You know, you might be hired in three months. I mean, that's and that's great. That's a way into something. But here I am. Now I'm going to do two months of prep and then shoot for three and a half months with the team and be in like a very important position. Right. So that means over the course of those months, so while we're shooting, I'm exposed to a whole bunch of other stuntmen. I'm and women. I'm in, exposed to some stunt coordinators, to all kinds of people who see me in a very important position. They're all wondering why. He's new. Like, usually it's a veteran stunt person that would be in that position. Right. And in this case, so everybody kind of is very, very curious about why is this guy in this position. So because of that attention, and if you do a good job, which I did, I did a very good job. And, you know, I learned really well on the spot. And I feel, like I said, the whole skill set of being able to do things in, in one, because you don't have a chance to start over, really helped me because anytime I was performing, I had that mindset. So I think I got a lot of people's attention. And after that, I started getting hired. And I happened to be in the same size as a lot of leading men, so it got me to lead, to, to double a lot of leads. I, you you mentioned you mentioned size, so I, you know, and I, I went through. I did some research on you. You've done, like you said, done movies. You've done TV shows. Oh, you've even done uh, video games. That which is really cool. You actually uh -huh. was, you also stunt doubled for uh, one of my favorite pro wrestlers in WWE, um, The Miz. You did you did work. The Miz, with, the Miz yeah. is great. Yeah, you did work with him. But you speaking of size, uh. How do you stunt double for a Smurf? Like, <laughs> how were you able to do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was a random kind of alley while the Smurf. You know, there's a in Smurfs too. There's a scene where the Smurfs on this little cart and they escape from a kitchen and they go roll down alleyways. And I was the dude in the alleyway. And when the cart comes in, I just get out of the way. Oh, okay. And that was my big <laughs> gig in Smurfs. <laughs> I, I, I could just right? picture that you were like, um, like dangery or like, uh, 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 uh pratfally. That one of those kind of <laughs> one of those kind of Smurfs. <laughs> 
He's like the, one of the hundreds that was like, cl- you could have been clumsy. You'd have been the stunt guy who was just busting his ass everywhere. <laughs> but I also saw, I see that you made the transition. You finally got the break that you wanted. You get into, um, you get into the, the, the role. You, you get into the leading roles. You're, you're in, you're in this kickboxer series, which is, is crazy because now you fast forward to where you were looking at Van Damme and Bloodsport and now you're basically in the shoes that he filled. Um, how was that transition going into to, to the stuntman role to actually now being the front of the camera, being the leading guy? Well, I mean, it's it's uh, definitely frightening. It's uh, it's what you want, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you're like, that's what I want. I want to do that. That that's the day that somebody says, "All right, we'll give you an opportunity." You're like, "Oh shit!" Now I gotta do it. <laughs> so, so it, it is because I'm not a trained actor. I'm not a trained actor. I consider myself still, and now I train a lot. I, I'm I'm a, I'm a rookie. I'm a total rookie actor, and that's how I see myself. Right. And I'm like, "All right, yes, I do have the physical skills. I know I can I can pull that off. No problem, definitely." But I mean, that's not what's going to make the difference long term. It's the acting. So obviously, I was scared shitless. But on the other hand, somebody believed in me. So that means they see potential. They see potential that I would do something. And that person was Dimitri Logothetis, who's the producer of Kickboxer. And I met Dimitri in 2011. We did a showcase for a martial arts film he was producing. And I was very featured in that showcase. And at the end of the showcase, he came over to meet me. We talked. He asked me a whole bunch of information on where I was from and blah, blah, blah. Talked for about five minutes. And the next day, I got a call from casting asking me to audition for the lead role of his film. And because he, had, he hadn't cast it yet. And that was very random. I did not expect that. That was in 2011. Um, and, that, and in the end, I auditioned and I got the role. He offered me the role. And he told me around that time that he was going to produce the remake of Kickboxer. Now, this movie I was on with him uh, at the time, the, the guy financing it kind of went south. And... It didn't work out. In the end, we did three weeks of photography. At the end, it just shut down, and we couldn't continue because of this financier. Right. Um, so f- fast forward three years later, we stayed in contact. I started working, you know, workshops and acting and that kind of stuff. I was, I was revolving in my stunt work, and he offers me to come down and meet Ted Field, who produced The Last Samurai. And he's like, Ted Field's going to be my partner, so you need to come in and do a showcase for him because um, I'm trying to – I'm convincing him that you're the guy for the role. Mm-hmm. And I'm a no-name. I mean, I do not exist, essentially. So to convince somebody like him that he should take me instead of, you know, one of the Helmsworth brothers, you know, come on. Like, why? Why the hell would we take this guy when there's so many big names that we could use? So Dimitri, like, no, just, you know, just entertain the idea of looking at him and see what happens. So we tem- I went down with my buddy Max, and we went down to do an audition in L.A. And uh, <clears throat> we go into the, this uh, martial arts club, and uh, Ted Field comes in, we meet him, he's a very quiet guy, and you know, kind of, hey, how's it going? All right, so do your thing. <laughs> so we go in and we do a one minute, it was one and a half minutes or two minutes of uh, like a fight scene. We designed the fight scene and we performed it live, the full fight scene. So this has like, you can imagine, like all it's like seeing a fight, like John Wick do a fight scene. Yes. But seeing it live from beginning to end with no cuts. And that's what we do. So we design this thing. There's kicks, there's flips, there's, you know, falls and all, all kinds of stuff, crazy stuff going on for about two minutes nonstop. It's like, like a big one tick. So we do that. And in the end, there's this move I do, which is uh, I go backwards, it's called a loser. So you go backwards, skip backwards. And as you kick your back leg over, you do a, you kick the guy under the chin and you do a front flip at the same time. You land on your feet. Oh yeah. I it's can like do that. Doing yeah. A, yeah. I can do that. You know, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I've been there before. <laughs> there you go. So, so then you do that, and I and and at the end I landed it, and I, I wasn't sure when I was going to land it because I'd never tried it at the end of a choreography like that. So I looked at my buddy Max, and I told him, I said, "Listen, if I look at you and I shake my head, that means I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to kick you in the head, and you'll fall down." 
if you know I go, I say yes, then I'm going to do it. So you, you know what's going on. But if I'm too tired, I'm not going to do it. I'll fall on my ass. I, you know, I don't want that to happen. Right. So then I, I get to the end, and I'm gas. I'm tired. And so I look back and I shake my head like I'm not going to do it. And he looks at me and he shakes his head. Yes, you're doing it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. So that means so I went for it and I just landed on my feet. Nice. It was like it just worked. So then Ted Field stood up and he's like, holy shit, that's kickboxing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> so that sold it. And then he asked the question, says, but can he act? And that's it. And I was like, oh, shit, he's going to ask me to audition or something. So finally, they had me do a screen test. I had to go back. I went back home with some scenes. I did a screen test. And in the end, I got it. And I was in. And this was t- thanks to Dimitri. Because Dimitri knew how. You see, had he said, let's audition this dude the regular way, which would be having to do scenes and stuff. Right. It wouldn't have sold it. It was, ah, uh, well, you know, he's kind of rough around the edges and blah, blah, blah. However, once he saw the physical performance, he's like, holy shit, we can actually do a real martial arts film with a guy who can actually do the whole thing with no stun doubles and this is going to look authentic so then it's like what can he learn can he, then it becomes okay we absolutely want that and we don't want doubles now so now if he can be decent on screen and he can be directed well then you know we can do something here because that's the genre that's the genre we were working on so dimitri was so smart in the way because dimitri believed in me and he had way he presented it it was like it was awesome yeah, listen, we, I, I've seen, I've seen uh, some some of the films. I've seen your films here and there. I did my research for you. Uh, let's just say you're you're the man that you you were uh, replacing. You're Leonardo DiCaprio compared to Van Damme when he started his early on. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Very, very much so. You're very captivating. Uh, Van Damme was like, all right, let's just get to the fight scenes. All right, let's get to it. But uh, we, before I let you go, because I know I don't want to take too much of your time, but um, you you finally met. The man who you saw in blood and bloodsport. Did you finally meet? I him? did, and I did. You know when I met? You know the real story of when I met him the first time. It was not on the movie. I met him before. Mm-hmm. I met him on a commercial. I met him on uh, on his uh, GoDaddy commercial. Oh, okay. I was hired. I was hired to double him on the GoDaddy commercial. Wow. The wow. week I was auditioning for Kickboxer. Wow. The same week. So I. So what he needed because he had had a hip thing. A hip. I think hip surgery. Um, like a month before or something. Mm. And this required him to hold the splits for long periods of time, right? So what they did, they used me to line up everything, to make sure everything was right. They were ready to shoot. And the last second, they would put Van Damme in. And then this way, he wouldn't have to hold the splits for a long time. And that's how I met him. Wow. And I, that day, he asked me to, to show him some kicks and stuff like that I did. And I did. And finally, he said, oh, well, I'm going to give your information to my assistant. So this way, we can call you back to come and double me for a movie or, or be a, you know, a character in one of my movies. And I'm like, oh, I was really excited about that. I thought it was really cool. So I did. But then I'm like, yeah, he's probably not gonna, he's not going to call. Months later, he called. Wow. He did call. And he got, yeah, but I was not unavailable. I was doing Warcraft when he did. So I was unavailable. But at the same time, he did call me back. And right after that, that's when he found out that I was doing Kickboxer. And he told Darren Chalavi, who was playing my brother in the movie. Um, Darren was playing the villain in his movie called... Um, pound of flesh mm-hmm. so darren texts me he's like dude i'm here with van damme and he just told me you're doing kickboxer and i'm like yeah man and he's like okay i can't believe i'm learning that you're like i'm, I'm hearing this from van damme himself <laughs> that you're doing kickboxer. this is ridiculous i'm in china with van damme and he's telling me you're doing kickboxer are you kidding me right now what's going on so 
it was like it was really funny. But Isn't anyways, it funny how, how all that ties together? Everything just like from you're 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 seven, you're ten years old, and you you see this guy, and all of a sudden it all ties in together. It's all fortuitous how it all comes together, man. That's it's it's, it's yeah. a great story for you, man. It's a beautiful thing. Um, just one last thing before I let you go. Um, the money. How's the money compared from stunt work <laughs> to <laughs> to acting? Cause, you know, I want to know: uh, is there a gr- drastic change? Like, does does the salary go up? The, I mean, I know you 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 have your SAG card and stuff. Like, is is there a good bump there? You know what? It's uh, I'm not in Leo money. I'm not in, I'm not in DiCaprio money yet. Let's just say that. All right. <laughs> And I was doing very well for myself before I was, listen, I was working stunt work all year. I was very, uh, I was working a lot. So no, it's, it's relatively the same, maybe a little more, but, okay. uh, but, it, but what, what's cool about it is it's, I get to do everything. I remember me on set and looking at, you know, Hen, whether it was Henry, when it was Travis, whoever I was doubling, Jackman, you know, I'm, and I'm like, man, I so want to do that. That's yeah. like, you know, what they're doing, they're doing the action, some of the action anyways, and you playing the part and that's, I can't wait to be in that. I would tell myself, I can't wait to be in that position. And to me, that, that was the driving force. I ne- to be honest with you, I very seldomly thought about the money that would come with it if it did. Because I've always been a big believer that everything, you know, and I've tried it, actually. I've, I've experienced it in my life. When I chase money, usually it doesn't work out all that well. When I chase things that, you know, that I'm passionate about, that I'm gonna be, I think I'm going to be great at, and I can really do, all of a sudden everything lines up. And it's like the things I need whether it's the finances, whether it's the opportunities, they kind of line up. And that, and I learned that early on. And, and it's like, I, I, I made that mistake before. I remember thinking back on a decision I made. I'm like, you see, I chased the money, bad decision. I didn't work out. And I'm like, I can't do that again. Next time I'm going to chase the right opportunity. And what I think is going to be best, the best experience, what's going to you know, move me forward. And then we'll see if the money comes with it. And you know what? It always has. So like I said, I was successful. I'm, I feel great. I love what I do right now. And, uh, you know, I, I make good money, and one day maybe I'll make DiCaprio money. You never know. <laughs> and I hope so. And I hope when you do, you're able to come back to TRS as a uh, regular season sports guys. And please, uh, the door is always open for you if you got if you want to promote something else, guys. Uh, Aline Musay, I'm telling you, he's got. The kickbox, the kickboxer series is really, really cool. Like I said, I did my research. I started watching it. Uh, hey. uh, kickbox the Vengeance, the Retaliation, and also Armageddon coming soon. Uh, let, let everybody wait know what you can reta- get. I want to tell you. Wait till you see Retaliation. The trailer should come out soon. I think. I think in the next two or three weeks we're going to have a trailer out. But uh, but man, it's going to be a cool movie. There's this one that we did. It's awesome. I'm going to tell you about with this one scene. Four minutes, no cuts. I fight 17 or 18 guys on two levels in a jail. It's amazing. It's a really, really cool scene. Um, but we did some spectacular things. Dimitri Logothetis directed it. He did a spectacular job directing this film. Um, you'll see, you know, seldomly do we say the sequel is going to surpass the original right. that we did. The, the sequel totally surpasses the last one. That, totally, scene, totally, sounds, totally. that scene sounds yeah. exactly what I had to deal with uh, in high school when I in Brooklyn, New York. That's exactly what it sounded <laughs> there like. You go. Fighting two floors. But, Aline, please let them know where they can get you at, where your social media outlets are, where they can oh, get you at. social media. Aline Moussi online on Facebook and Aline Moussi and Aline Moussi on, uh, on Instagram and, um, and the Twitter. I'm big on Instagram. That's, I'm very, you know, I'm always active on Instagram. But Aline Moussi, A-L-A-I-N-M-O-U-S-S-I. On Instagram is the best. All righty, sir. Thanks again for being a part of the show. And once again, we will uh, we will knock it out, promote the hell out of this thing because I do not want you to come to New York and kick my ass. Thank you, sir. That's it. All right, Jay. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one, sir. You too. Bye bye. Yeah, man. That was Aline Mousse coming. 
coming into TRSS, man. It's, it's always an honor when you get celebrities like that who take their time out to, 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 to chit-chat and share their experience and let us know how to get down, especially when it came with the ladies. Check them out, man. All his social media outlets. And also, when uh, Kickboxing Retaliation comes out, you guys don't want to miss that. Like I, I, I kid you not, I said... He is the Leonardo DiCaprio step-up from Jean-Claude Van Damme, for real. And, and it was good to hear him good to hear him share his experience as well as how he's doing with the ladies. When we come back, we got talking sports and shit and tons, tons more on TRSS. TRSSpodcast.com. Check us out, man. Make sure you check out all our episodes and just everything that's coming up. Creeping up on 100, guys. 100 episodes coming up. And so, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. When we come back, like I said, talking sports and shit. Stick around, don't go anywhere. Hey, what's up, guys? This is comedian Dan Shanad, and you're listening to TRSS. Keep it locked. Man, we talking sports and shit. Get off this week's talking sports and shit. Talking about the NBA draft. And I know a lot of guys was out there really excited about this, man. It's just the moving and shaking that goes on with the NBA draft. You had um, you had some trades that was going on. You had some individuals who are uh, starting to make ops in their contracts and, and such. But I got to say that this was probably the one of the drafts that I looked out for because come 2018 is a big, big free agency class that's coming out. And it's pretty much the precursor of where a lot of these players are going to be looking to go to for next season with these trades that were occurring and the uh uh the 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 draft picks that were made you know to the 2018 class such as lebron uh steph curry you have guys that are uh having uh opt out contracts that 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 could happen like a russell westbrook and such like it's 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 gonna be very very interesting to see how this 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 season is going to move along. First thing I have to say is I respect what Boston does. Boston is a the Boston Celtics are a team that they appreciate the draft and its picks, but they also know that the best place to start investing when it comes to their team is with experience. So they will move around a, a you know they'll take a draft pick and give it to somebody else just to get an experienced player. And we saw it in the past; they've done it before. And they 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 made their moves. They 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 will say, okay, we'll have bait here because we know when it comes time for us to start making moves for the for the for the upcoming season, we have draft picks available to give to people who would want it. I can respect that. I also respected the seventy sixes, who, uh, I you know I I I noticed their experiments uh, a few years before where they wanted to go younger, and. Yeah, it didn't work out for them too well, but this year, I think that this might be the time where it's going to start clicking. This is where it's going to go. The league is going to, you know, their they're, they're, they're conference is getting a little bit older. Uh, I think it might be a time where they will be able to uh, let their youth and speed come in. As long as they they play mature, they, which is going to be tough because these guys are young. But if they could find a maturity in which they could work together and realize that uh, it's it's going to be comp out there, you guys are you guys are going to have a strong fan backing, but they're going to want to see some W's there. So I, I like to see the 76ers make moves over there. It'll be it'll be something interesting that that's happening there. 
also uh, on the horizon. We saw some moves happen uh, during the draft. Jimmy Butler is now with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and woo, to me that makes that that can make that team very very scary. Very scary. I think they're probably one piece away of like solidifying something very, very uh, watchable and uh, competitive over there. So keep on a keep keep an eye on that. It's one of the things you gotta you guys gotta look at. And of course, the Knicks will uh, be the Knicks. I, I'm a New York guy, so I have to talk about them. Knicks will always be the Knicks. They're, you know, they're, they're, Knicks fans were not happy about the discussion of Przingis being on the trading block. Uh, there was talk of Carmelo um, deciding not to, to honor the trade clause and he wants to stay in New York. I don't know why. I think I guess I guess the thought was probably that maybe there's nothing for him out there, but I don't think so. I think there's there's there, there's there's opportunity for him out there to where he could go ring chase. Everybody else is doing it. I think it's for him. It's well deserved. I think he should, I think he should consider it unless unless. There's a possibility where he's sitting on his laurels for one more year, and maybe he's thinking that maybe him, he, he and LeBron could go somewhere together. Hmm. Maybe, maybe. Um, but that being said, there was also talk you know, about the opt-outs that occurred in in, in Clippers Town, where Chris Paul and Blake Griffin has opted out of their contracts. Um. That'll be interesting. That's some, that's that's something to to look look at. I don't see the only one I probably see go to the East Coast is probably Blake Griffin. I think Chris Paul will be fine and will stay will stay at you know in, in the West Coast. But um, I don't know. I I think it's something to 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 yeah. I, I don't I don't know. It's just so weird, man. Especially with how dominant Golden State is. Teams are be clamoring, clamoring to see where they're gonna be to move around. So let's let, let's see how that unfolds. As for the draft, everybody knows who's in the in, in, who's in the new who's been paying attention. There's a lot of people who's watching. It. I saw it on social media. There's a lot of people that was up on it, especially on my on my feed. There was a lot of guys that was on it. Seventy six is take Markel Fultz, which is I think is a danger. Listen, Ben Simmons comes back. You can keep these guys healthy. Ben Simmons six is six ten. He can run the floor like a point guard. That could give so much opportunity to that team, man. There's so much that you can do there. You could run a lot of older teams out the gym with that youth if you keep at their condition. It's crazy. Number two, Lonzo Ball takes. You know, I was gonna save it for later on, but I might as well say it now. Lonzo Ball goes to to two with the Lakers. Which, to be honest. We, we saw it coming. I wanted to be a dick and be like, yo, I hope fucking somebody else took him first just to fucking make them suffer. And it's not about them. It's about the pops. It's about LeVar Ball. And I got to say that we've been saying it for all, you know, previous episodes and such. It's like, fine, we get it. You're a good father. You're a really good father. You're a great father. You got, you know, your kids got scholarships to play ball. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a two 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 parent household. It's functioning. It's great. It's a great thing, but you're taking away something that's earned by your child. Your child is. This is his time. This is his time. Unless your child is like, you know what, Dad, I don't really like the limelight. I don't really. I just want to go and play ball. But you, you, you know what? You never know that. Maybe that's just what it is. 
But at the end of the day, it's like this is his time. This is you know this is him being the number two draft pick in the NBA draft. Like this, he's the number two pick, and you're out there showboating, you know, uh, uh, you know, big baller brand uh, ugly ass tie and big baller brand ugly ass hat. Like it's ridiculous. And then you you're you're looking at you know I predicted this. Okay, if you predicted your child was gonna play for the Lakers when he was born, that's dope. But for you to say that I predicted that my child was going to pay for the Lakers this year, it was like, dude, it's a fucking gimme. They they, they weren't really going to go nowhere else. They really weren't. And they played the game to where they knew they wanted him. They, they were, there wasn't anybody else there. Plus, it's a marketing thing. It, it's like, come on, you didn't predict that shit. It was fucking automatic. Hell, the, the people in the fucking stands knew that shit. Hell, my, my daughter knew that shit. You're not this big foreseer of the future. You're not fucking Nostradamus. We get it. But I'm more on the back like, listen, if your child is not the one that, you know, is not a, an individual who enjoys the, the limelight and, you know, you're taking you're taking that because that's what he wants, more power to you. But other than that, it's a real dickhead shitty move for you man it's so self-righteous it's so selfish ridiculous Boston takes uh Jason Tatum Duke forward at number three Phoenix takes Josh Jackson by the way did you see his shitty ass fucking pitch uh yikers uh his first pitch at uh at the Diamondbacks game was horrible uh the Sacramento Kings take uh Darian Fox at point guard from Kentucky number six Orlando uh, the Orlando Magic take uh uh Jonathan Isaac the Chicago Bulls they take uh, Laura Markin. That's a lot. Chicago, although they gave up, uh, um, although they gave up uh, Jimmy Butler, I think that it's still they they still could be something to look at. They they could be a contend, uh, contending team out there. They, could, they still could be a problem. Knicks take uh, Frank. Fuck that! I'm I'm not even gonna try to get that name and for France. And it's funny because Meth Man said the same shit before the draft happened. He says, "Watch them take a motherfucker from France," and sure enough, they did. Dennis Smith Jr. from NC State goes to the Dallas Mavericks at nine, and Zach Collins will go to the Portland Trail Blazers from Gonzaga. Uh, you guys, oh, and um, my Nick guys, we you guys were upset because Malik Monk should have been taken by the Knicks. Uh, Charlotte take, took him at 11, but 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 I have to say that I think the French kid might be a better pick. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, as for, you know, Porzingis, which everybody is over there uh, uh, who are Nick fans are in an uproar with, it's like Phil Jackson's an asshole. I can't believe that he's going to trade him. This is so, this is such a dumb move. He's talking about. Uh, this this is for our future, but he, he's only 21, 22 years old. He is our future. And I said, you know what? Let him leave. Let him go. Let him fucking let him go win a championship somewhere and, tell, and say, you know what? Fuck the Knicks. Because you know what? I really think deep, deep down inside, Phil Jackson is fucking sabotaging the Knicks just to get the fuck out. I don't think he wants to be there anymore. He, his, his plan didn't work. You think about it. Everywhere he went to. Be in Chicago, be in LA. He was able to to implement his style because he had the tools there. With the Knicks, he came. Come to find out, the Wizard can't fucking um can't 
pour syrup or shit and make pancakes. It, it, it's just what it is. Just, it's real. You can't. And just the move, oh, you know. And the worst part is that Dolan did this because he's like, you know what? I'm tired of taking the fucking heat. Fuck this. Let me stand the fuck back. I'm not. Let somebody else get the heat for this shit. This motherfucker went to go on tour with his fake ass fucking uh, rock band, uh, Jimmy and the Cyburns, whatever the fuck they call themselves. I, I thought that was hilarious, but um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. You you get a guy like the Unicorn, Pazingas, and uh, it, it it's so it's such a, a damaging thing that he could he could he could bring such um fun to the game in New York but just because you missed an exit meeting please Seeds and Alamo sticking with NBA we also got uh, Dwight Howard is uh, off to Charlotte I love to see the, the Dwight Howard hate everybody just fucking bash the shit out of him they're like who gives a fuck my man Terry shout out to my boy Terry was like yeah he just wants to find shirts out there that could uh be even tighter than he usually wears now it, it's it's like he's so gone Dwight Howard he's just so gone now he just seems like a bitter he seems like the bitter dude on the line at the fucking uh, at, at the company fucking picnic he was talking about yeah they fucking making us a barbecue and shit but when the fuck is my motherfucking raise gonna come I'm tired of this shit this bullshit I've been working for this shit for 18 19 years I still ain't seen my motherfucking increase. Fuck y'all, y'all kiss my ass. Shit. By the way, who put who put who put mustard in a potato salad? This shit disgusting. Who the fuck puts mustard in potato salad? This is disgusting. The boss ain't around, right? He ain't around. He, you know what I mean? Oh, he ain't. Fuck him. Fuck that motherfucker. Shit, he kiss my ass too. Dwayne Wade has opted to stay in Chicago. That's why I said Chicago might be a problem, man. It's like I still got Rondo there. And they can make a trade or two here to 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 make them still a contender, man. It's it's not it's not they're not too far away. It's I know everybody's is thinking about super teams, but the funny thing is when it happens with two super teams, chemistry could get lost, and also injuries occur, man. So you never know. You never know. Because I signed you. Also, uh, in case you guys want to know, um, OJ might be coming home soon. That's right. OJ Simpson, uh, the man not accused of murder, but accused of doing some armed robbery and shit, may be free to go come October. Uh, seems as though proceedings are going across for his parole hearing come uh, steadily this July. And if all goes well for the juice, he might see uh, freedom and touch ground, son, this coming October. So uh, if you're an OJ Simpson fan, you love the juice. The juice may be loose come October. Fucking bullshit! Beautiful thing that I just heard. Uh, Warren Sapp will donate his brain to science to deal with, uh, to do some studies on the effects of football and the trauma that occurs to the brain. It's a beautiful thing, man. It's great that a man such as himself would do such a thing. Uh, me, no, keep my brain aside because I'm hoping for reanimation and I really want to come back to life because there's some people that I want to scare the fuck out of. Jesus! Speaking of football, Ray Lewis, who is now on Fox Sports 1, was in a discussion about the whole Colin Kaepernick situation and made a comment in which it was uh, prevalent to, basically I paraphrase which is you either want to be a football player or... Or you want to be a activist. 
Give me a second for this one. Now everybody, all right. Everybody was upset. A lot of people, a lot of people on my uh, on our social media pages were were they were upset because it seems as though that um, let's just say that they believe that he's toting the line and begin beginning to do some coonery. Um, here's the flip side of this. Now, my thought about this is this: I understand where he's coming where he's coming from because if Colin Kaepernick is complaining and bitching that he's not on a team, there's this you know these actions can be depicted on why he's not and he you know he might have to tone it down a notch because you know he wants to play or he wants to make money i can get what you're saying because the teams don't want the distraction we've been i've been saying it for the for for the longest kaepernick has not been complaining like he hasn't been saying anything about it like he's been good his tweet his his twitter his twitter feeds his all his, his social media outlet feeds have been all about just society and what's what's going on with the culture i get that he has not once stressed an issue of why he's not working or why he doesn't have a job or why he's not playing or why has no one picked him up he gets it he understands teams like the giants bypass him teams like the cowboys passed him seattle passed him but i tell you one thing though motherfucking teams are one quarterback away of getting dropped and they're gonna want a player like kaepernick they're going to want that 90% fucking quarterback rating. And he'll go in there and play the game. You're going to want him or not. You guys are so afraid of what he has to say or what he's saying, but not look at the big picture. Now, I didn't like the way that the platform was like, oh, you know, you need to channel yourself and, you know, make the money to, to feed the cause. Okay, he's champ. You know, he's, he wants to be a champion pioneer of the cause. But where the fuck are you guys at as well? You guys were there. You guys are making the money. Where are you at? If you, if you, this is the real shit though. If you guys, especially men of color, if you guys believe in his cause and you know his gripe and his situation and what he's saying, where are you at to back him with it and help him with his cause, knowing that he's getting the black ball that he's getting? So, Ray Lewis, why don't you stand with him and go with, you know, pitching for his cause? Because now you don't have to worry. You have a job. Oh, wait. Are you afraid of losing that, that FS1 job? Hmm. But yet, you're talking about, well, you know, you got, he, he needs to worry about that. So when is it? When is he free to do this? Because in any case, he's got he to tote the line for somebody, right? He's got to make the money somehow, right? So when is he going to do it? How can he? And then you're talking about, oh, I'm out there and I'm doing this and that. Where? Nobody, nobody's heard of you. Nobody's seeing this. I'm there. I'm with you. I, I understand the gripes. I, but you're not putting yourself out there like, why? Because once again, maybe you don't want to lose your position. It's good to talk, but the action is different. And also, granted, uh, a comment was made, uh, made was which they made a, a mention to where it's a team sport. It's not all about you. And you're right. It is a team sport. And I've said this many times where individuals want to take the spotlight not understanding you're playing a team sport. Now, if... Kaepernick was in a situation like a Muhammad Ali where his game is all about individuality. Understood. The only brand that he's hurting is himself. What they're talking about is when you get on a team, you got to put it off. I get it. I totally understand that. I totally understand that because same thing with a job. If I go to work and I have this this idea or this fucking premise that I keep pining for myself, knowing that it's going to hinder somebody else or hinder my, 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 my coworkers, I may want to tone it down. Because at the end of the day, you have to generate and you have to produce. 
and you don't want to put a black eye on something, which I get. I understand. But there has to be a way, whether it's it's Kaepernick pulling back a little bit or uh, teams giving up a little bit to where you can be an athlete, you can be a team player, but you can also be an activist. I don't know. I, 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 I'm thinking it's possible, but I don't think people really want to be a part of that. Just saying. Just saying. Derek Carr is um, getting his extension. It seems like he's going to be the, or if he, you know, he is the uh, highest paid uh, quarterback NFL player in the league. Twenty-five million a year, which are stretching for a five-year contract, will give him one hundred and twenty-five million. I really should have picked up uh, football early on, except I was doing gymnastics. Like, yeah, who does that shit? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, we also have on tap that uh, the Triple H has uh, apparently made a connection to the MMA and boxing world. Seems as though Triple H wants to invite Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather to WWE's Monday Night Raw. Fuck it. Do it. Might as well tie everything the fuck together. Get get the, the MMA world, boxing, and fucking wrestling. Get it all pro wrestling all together. Shit. All it does is benefit everybody to generate that travel. That's... I mean, come on. Let's be for real. Who who gets hurt with this? Nobody. Maybe wrestling because then they're going to fucking judge him. I'll tell you one thing, though. If McGregor is ready to go out, he's one of the guys that I say he could fit right into the WWE easily. Even if he'll wrestle like Brock Lesnar like once a year, easily he'll fit in. Why not? Come on. Make it happen. Come on, guys. Come on. And finally... Big Poppy gets his number retired by the Boston Red Sox. David Ortiz, number 34, was retired by the Boston Red Sox this past weekend. And I must say, from a team that was probably the most prejudiced fucking team in the league, do your research. The Boston Red Sox was the last fucking team to recruit, sign, whatever you want to call it, a black or minority player, preferably black, to their team. For them to honor and retire Big Poppy's number is um hmm i want to say an honor but i still think somehow it's backhanded i mean he put in a lot of work for them though but um yeah i'm not you know what i'm not really quite sure how i feel about that maybe in a later later episode i'll come back and tell you guys but as for now mm, yeah i'm yeah i'm not no i'm no whatever all right guys this will wrap up this week's episode of TRSS, the regular season sportscast. Make sure you check us out on all social media outlets. Check us out on Facebook at the regular season sportscast like and group page. Check us out on Instagram at regular season sports. Check us out on the Twitter at RWJ Santi as well as on YouTube at regular season sportscast. Once again, I want to thank all those who participated uh man i love man it, it's i love the fact that this is just an outlet for me to do what i do in the places that i this is the places where i please i be in the in the in the in the avenue in which i drive that sounded so cool the way i said it in my head it didn't really come out the way i wanted to but still still it still sounded pretty cool uh want to make sure i want to thank give thanks out to uh ali musi he was here he checked in we had a great conversation ah uh, man this is the reason why I do these shows, man. So dope, man. Make sure you check him out on, on his social media outlets. 
like I said, Instagram is his thing thing. He enjoys the um he enjoys the uh the, the ladies. <laughs> he he openly participates in that realm. And uh make sure you check out Kickbox of Retaliation coming soon, guys. It's 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 gonna be knocking on your door. You can be do split legged split legged splits just like uh uh Jean Claude Van Damme, Jean Claude. And uh, make sure you check out RageWorks.net for everything, everything, everything getting to popping over there from all things relevant in our society today. Guys, just want to let you guys know I'm not best for business. I'm best for everybody. I'm the king of talk style. Catch you guys on the rebound, yo. School wash. The regular season sportscast. Yes. <laughs>